I am excited to be here. I'm not often here on Saturday's preaching. I know y'all have had several weeks without your usual preachers, but I'm sure you'll be back really soon. Um, and I'm just glad to be here. And um, I, Nick said y'all were hearing your first sermon on the call, I think, is it? This is the second week of the series, but... Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe Saturday is on a different thing. But um, The Call is um, the book that we're kind of following right now, and it's about the message and life of the Apostle Paul. So I'm excited to share more about that too. So will you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts gathered here be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Thank you for being our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Nick was telling you he was in high school when he was called into ministry. The same is true for me. I was 15 years old when I was first called into ministry. And at first, I didn't really understand what was happening, what was going on, what that meant. And I wasn't really ready to do anything about that. Over the course of the next year or so, my youth ministers, my family, friends, and others began to recognize my gifts for ministry and encourage me in them, which was really strange to me given that I hadn't told anyone about my call. Yeah. Um, So, Holy Spirit. But I was encouraged to take on leadership roles at school, in extracurricular activities, at youth group, just kind of everywhere. And Throughout that year, I grew in a lot of ways, and um, at the end of that year, I went on a chrysalis flight, which, if you're not familiar with that, is like a walk to Emmaus for teenagers, and if you're not familiar with that, is a really intense spiritual retreat. So I went on that, and um, shortly after that, I began to accept that maybe I really was called into ministry. And so after this, I continued to receive external affirmation of my gifts for ministry and my call to ministry as I practiced it in my life in different ways. And when I graduated from high school, I felt like I had a strong sense of calling specifically for youth ministry, um, specifically as a layperson, which you know neither of those things are true of what I'm doing now. Um, But here is a picture of me after I preached my first sermon um, right about the time I graduated from high school. Um, And so I had an opportunity to um, preach at all the worship services at my church that weekend. Um, And that was uh, kind of my first experience with what I'm doing here today. Um, So throughout my time in college, after this, I went to college and I had um, the opportunity to serve in three different churches, in college ministry, in youth ministry, in contemporary worship, and experience lots of different things. Um, And it was through these experiences that I experienced my call into ordained ministry rather than lay ministry. And so I moved after college from Central Texas to North Carolina to start seminary. And um, I started seminary at Duke with the intention of being ordained, but still not sure exactly what that might look like. Um, I specialized in Christian education in my studies, and I knew I loved teaching, but um, I wasn't really sure exactly what that would um, play out to look like. Um, And during seminary, I served as a pastoral intern at two different churches. I interned a lot. That's what happens when you... Um, or called to ministry early, but um, during which, during those internships, I developed a love for pastoral care and um, some other pastoral duties, and so now um, I'm eight years into my first full-time pastoral position, and my call as well as my job are ever-evolving. When I first came to Bethany, the focus of my work was almost um, entirely in children's ministry. I had a few additional pastoral duties, but over the years, I've begun to do more pastoral care, more preaching, lead worship more often, other leadership roles, and um, I also have two children, which I didn't have when I started all this ministry stuff. Um, And so my call has expanded to include parenting as well. 
Um, and, and my primary passion in ministry has shifted as well. Um, it's evolved to focus on the area of family faith formation, intergenerational ministry, and ways that um, people of uh, different ages and generations can um, learn and grow together in their faith. And so 18 years have passed since I first heard my call into ministry, and there's no way that 18 years ago I could have predicted that at that time that now I would be here in this place doing this work while um, having two kids at home and all this other stuff. Um, I never could have told you what that would look like um, because God didn't set out a clear path in front of me. God didn't tell me much about where I would be going. God simply said, go. And I can't tell you today where my calling from God will lead me in another year or five years or another 18 years from now. Um, oftentimes, almost always actually, in my experience, God's calling doesn't include instructions. God simply says go. And that can be difficult for some of us. I'll own that. can be difficult for me. Um, some of us aren't into adventures without maps. Some of us and including me, especially me, like to plan everything in advance, like to be prepared for every possible situation, contingency plans, emergency supplies, all these things um, are very comforting to some of us. Others of us might be excited that God doesn't give a lot of instructions, it's a big adventure, but um, some of us might struggle with that. And today, we're learning about the Apostle Paul and his first missionary journey. Um, scripture doesn't tell us how Paul reacted to his call to go, um, only that he went. So um, I'm going to note right now that you're hearing me say Paul. I'm about to read scripture that says Saul. It's the same guy, okay? Um, Saul is his Jewish name, and Paul is his Roman name. He's a Jewish Roman citizen, and um, scripture refers to him by both names. Later on in the same chapter that I'm going to read, he's called Paul, and he's called Paul in scripture thereafter. But I'm going to say Paul because that's what we're used to, and you're going to hear Paul, Saul in scripture, but same guy. Okay, so Acts... 13, 1 through 4 says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Minian, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. Where did they send Paul and Barnabas off to? They sent them on a journey to share the gospel, which we now know as Paul's first missionary journey. That's kind of the path that they traveled. Um, and it's not clear whether Paul and Barnabas even had a plan for where to go. God didn't give them this map with the arrows on it saying this is where you're going to go and in what order. But they, were went, they went off to share the gospel because they were called and because they were sent to do so. And to help you place this scripture in reference to other things that you might know about Paul and the rest of Paul's life, you're probably familiar with Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, and that was more than 10 years prior to this. So during the previous decade or so before he left on this missionary journey, he's been prepared for this journey and for his ministry in various ways. He wasn't just converted and then left off to, you know, plant churches all over the world. Um, he was prepared in various ways, including study and meditation and through serving and leading in the church. Returning to that passage that we read, it says that he was a leader in the church. 
it was clear um, that he, because his name appears in a list of prophets and teachers. You'll see in that first verse. And the Holy Spirit spoke directly to this group of leaders. And the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And a few verses later, it says, Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. So the Holy Spirit was directly involved in this call. And I noticed two things here. The first is that Paul and Barnabas didn't decide on their own to go and leave on this journey. It wasn't their idea. Their call came in community. It was group discernment, and it was realized when the group was engaging in spiritual practices together. It says that they were fasting and praying, worshiping the Lord and fasting. Um, I'm sure they were praying as well, because that happens in worship. Um, so that's the first thing I noticed, that it wasn't their idea, that, and then it happened in community. And the second was that they went. They listened to the Holy Spirit's call, and they respond with obedience, regardless of how much information um, they might have had about it. And this was not Paul's first encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I suspect Paul already knew this, but would come to know even more fully that the Holy Spirit is not tame or logical or particularly talkative. Instead, the Spirit speaks with few words, sending out God's faithful to do God's work with little instruction. And a calling through God's Spirit is as powerful and trustworthy as it is wild. A call from God is not something that we can run away from or hide from or escape. It doesn't follow a Google Maps most direct route, like if you wanted to go to Houston today, you might have had several options. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't give us a map like this um, or like the one that Paul had. Um, the path that the Holy Spirit calls us to is more like the path the wind takes than the path that a highway takes. And it looks different for each of us. But God's call can be trusted because God is faithful. God is faithful even when we doubt and even when we question and even when we don't know where we're going or we feel uncomfortable or we're in an unfamiliar place. And this week I got to witness something really unusual in my yard that kind of reminded me of this. Um, around 7.15 one morning, so the sun had been up for a little while. It was fully daylight outside. I looked out my kitchen window to see a mother raccoon and two kits, her babies. And this was, this is not a great picture, but um, it shows you what I could actually see. So the mother's over there on the right next to the swing and the slides, and the babies are by the tree. So um, I was taking this picture out the window and the screen, so sorry for the resolution, but... Um, so it was really strange to see this in the daylight. We don't usually see raccoons in the day. And um, the mother obviously had an injured leg, which I think is why they were still out during the day. Um, but I'm sure the raccoons, especially the kits, were really uncomfortable. And I'm sure they were scared. And watching them, I had the opportunity to witness the way that this mother raccoon led her babies. And they didn't want to follow her. So it was really interesting to watch the way she did it. When I first saw them, um, all three of them were huddled behind the tree next to the fence, and over and over again, the mother set off across the yard, just as you're seeing. She would get to about that point, maybe 10 feet away from them, and then she would stop to see if they were following her. And when she saw they weren't, she would return and urge them to follow, however raccoons communicate with each other. Um, but you could tell, she was, she was trying to get them to follow her, and then she would set off again, and then she would turn around again to see if they were following her, and they never were over and over and over, probably 10 times she did this. And um, there's some similarities between human parenting and raccoon parenting as well, I noticed. But 
Finally, she grabbed one of them by the scruff of its neck and began carrying it. And so she was injured, so she was carrying it, but kind of dragging it as well. Uh, but the other kit followed, and they made their way across the yard and to wherever they were going. And I noticed that the mother was not going to leave her babies, no matter what it took. And that reminded me of that God will not leave us. Even if we're in uncomfortable places like a raccoon out in the daylight, even if we're resistant or slow to follow, even if we keep saying to God, no, I can't do that, no, I'm not going to go there, God will keep calling. God will keep asking and urging, even if God has to literally drag us where God is calling us to go. So before you get too comfortable thinking that calling is about someone else, about the Apostle Paul, or about me, or about those people who work in professional ministry, I want to be clear that the Holy Spirit calls each one of us. Before we're called to do God's work in the world, we're called to salvation, and we're called to discipleship. In the Wesleyan tradition, we believe that God's provenient grace, which is the grace that goes before, is present and at work in our lives before we're even born, calling us into relationship with God. And this is true for every human being everywhere. When we respond to the grace of God at work in our lives, recognizing our own need for it, God's justifying grace removes the guilt of our sin. And Paul preached about this in Pisidian Antioch. So the scripture we read earlier talked about the church in Antioch. That was Syrian Antioch. Now he's in a different Antioch um, called Pisidian Antioch. And the officials of the synagogue invited him to give a word of exhortation. And what follows is the longest recorded sermon that we have from Paul in the Bible. And at the end of it, um, he talks about forgiveness of sins and salvation through Jesus. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. By this Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from all those sins from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He says everyone who believes is set free from their sin. While following the law could not free the Jews or the Gentiles of Paul's time from their sins, Jesus could. Just as being a good person doesn't free us from our sins, the grace of Jesus Christ does. But what is sin? Really, and why do we need to be freed from it? Paul uses the Greek word hamartia for sin, which literally means to miss the mark. Paul uses it to refer to an orientation of the human soul, to the action of straying from God's path or from God's will for our lives. And in his letter to the church at Rome, he describes his own struggle with sin. In Romans 7, verses 15 and 19, he says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. This orientation, this condition as sinful human beings because of original sin, because of the original sin of Adam and Eve, separates us from one another and to God and from God. To be reconciled to one another and to God, we need salvation from our sin. And and what Paul is saying there might be familiar to you. It's familiar to me. Uh, many of us might have had that experience. But this is where the grace of Jesus Christ comes in. Through Jesus, we can be freed from sin. And when we accept Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection have the power to save us, this is salvation. In Wesleyan terms, we call this the moment of justification, in which we accept God's justifying grace as forgiveness of our sins. 
as we begin to follow Jesus as his disciples, God continues to work within us and to call us through God's sanctifying grace, which enables us to live as faithful disciples. Learning to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus and growing in this ability throughout our lives. And this, my friends, is a calling. And it applies to every single one of us. And you're here today in this place worshiping God because God called you here today. And you're called to a life of discipleship. But how do we hear and respond to God's call on our lives to go and do God's work in the world? Thinking about this is where I think talking about the Apostle Paul can trip us up. Paul has a lot of virtues. His ministry is really valuable. We have him to thank for many of the scriptures in the New Testament. But let's admit something. Paul was not normal, right? Most of us don't have an amazing Hollywood-worthy conversion story that we can talk about on the road to Damascus. Most of us are not called to travel the world starting churches. And we, we might start thinking about Paul and how amazing he was and how remarkable his call was, and we forget that we too are called. We forget that our calling can come in the simplest of ways, in the most mundane ways, on any day. That it might not even seem extraordinary at all. Your call might be to the work that you do, to your family, to a particular relationship that you have, or to a role that you play in the community. But in whatever you're doing as a disciple of Christ, we are all called to share God's love. And that'll look different for each of us, depending on our circumstances. And it won't always be comfortable or enjoyable. For example, I don't like public speaking. Yeah, I don't. I never have. I didn't like it at 15 when God called me into ministry. And though I've had a lot of practice since then, I still don't enjoy it now. But God called me. So here I am standing up in front of you talking because God has given me words and God has given me a voice and God has called me. I'm also called to be a parent, which I love, but which also includes cleaning up bodily fluids on a regular basis. It includes cutting food into tiny pieces when I'd rather just be sitting down and eating my own food and being awake when I'd rather be sleeping. Um, but God has called me and is continuing to call me to these things each and every day. But how do we hear God calling? How can we be attentive to God's call in our lives? Scripture tells us that Paul and Barnabas received their calling during worship with the gathered community. They were engaging in spiritual practices, connecting with God. It wasn't their idea, just like going into ministry wasn't my idea, but it was confirmed by others. And regarding my own call, same thing. I thought it was a pretty bad idea for a while. In fact, that's why I didn't tell anybody about it mostly because of that public speaking thing that I knew would be part of it. Um, yet, as I shared at the beginning, my call was confirmed by others. Your call might not come through prayer and fasting while worshiping with the community. It might not come while you're sitting in this worship space. It might come while you're sitting at a red light in your car. I mean, who knows? It might come in a really strange way. Um, but if you're staying connected to God through spiritual practices and to others who you can prayerfully share with, then you have the means by which to discern whether what you are hearing or feeling or experiencing is God's call on your life, whether it's something small or something big and life-altering like a missionary journey. When Paul left on his first missionary journey, he went because he heard the call to go. But God led the way, and Paul followed. He traveled to new places, met new people, probably learned a whole lot of things, 
and his calling and his mission became clearer along the way. His, this first journey probably turned out a lot different than he expected it. And the same is true of my call to ministry, and I'm sure if I sat down for coffee with each one of you, you could tell me about that in your lives as well. You never know where the Holy Spirit might call, but it probably won't be tame or predictable or logical. It will likely be uncomfortable, possibly undesirable, but if God's Spirit calls you, God will go with you because God is always trustworthy and faithful and good. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, for we are not worthy of it. We thank you for the gift of salvation from sin and for the privilege of walking with you. Grant us courage to follow you wherever your spirit leads us, for we know that it can be to many, many places. You won't give us a map in advance, and it might be uncomfortable. It might be strange. It might be really bizarre. But we thank you for the gift that you give us in calling us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.